What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, we got an excellent show lined up. I say that every time. I do. I say great. I say excellent. I say a lot of things because, in my opinion, we got good shows lined up. We always do. You guys just throw them for a curveball one day and be like, yo, today's show just sucks. Just skip this one, honestly. (laughs) Today's show's kind of mid. If you want to just go to the next episode, would it totally hit? No, no, no. That we don't we don't do that we don't we don't just go for for lazy episodes. This is uh this this is not the off season. We just we just roll into every episode like it's going to be our best episode ever. Who knows? Maybe this one will be our best episode ever. Great great interview coming up with our friend Alyssa Lang. She's going to join us in a little bit. We're going to talk some Angel Reese. We're going to talk Kaylin Clark. Some Beamer South Carolina stuff as well. Uh, and then we're going to do cooking and figuring out, which we somehow hadn't done yet. I had to search that one. We've done like grilling and we've done steak and we've, you know, there are a lot of things. The thing I do best, we've kind of like dipped our toe into the cooking subject and figuring out in a variety of places, but never just strictly cooking. So we will do that in figuring it out. But first Auburn's spring game. Huh? So right after this is, this is when, you know, you're, you're grinding in this job and you're like, I'm earning my paycheck today. I'm earning my paycheck Saturday afternoon. Uh, beautiful weather outside, by the way, uh, at least here. But I turn on ESPN Plus, I get ready to stream the game, and instantly I'm bummed. Just instantly. Not because they were doing 30 minutes of drills to start a spring game, which should be illegal. Don't like that. <laughs> the conditions were awful. Really bad. Rainy, chilly. There are roughly 15 people in the stands. Shout out to Auburn for saying that the paid spring game attendance was 16,367, which again, paid attendance is different than actual in-game attendance. But I highly, highly doubt that roughly 16,352 people were like, hey, I know we built our entire Saturday around going to this spring game, but let's instead not go because it's cold and rainy. So call him BS on that one, but for a different reason. Some probably did that. Guessing that wasn't a nearly unanimous decision. I really wasn't worried about the attendance. Didn't care about that. What I was worried about was actually seeing a little bit of this quarterback battle in a, yes, highly controlled setting, but getting to see them throw the football. And instead, (laughs) we got Hugh Freeze saying before the game that he was bummed because if the weather had been nice, plan was to air it out a bit. And when you have a quarterback battle, throwing forward passes is ideally part of the evaluation again not for everyone so we don't want to we don't want to necessarily rule out service academies and the process that they go through to, to decide mm-hmm. the quarterback but here in the sec and here in a hugh freeze offense forward pass matters i think we can all agree on that it's like auburn just keeps getting stuck in this episode of the twilight zone where they can't throw the ball it's like last year they just couldn't throw the ball because they didn't have the personnel now the rain started it's like guys it's just 2022 all over again i don't know what to tell you they just get that weather for every single game this year like they did something to the college football gods to be like, all right, surely the weather's going to lie. They're looking at their phones. It's 0% chance of rain. Nope. It will be 45 and rainy. Enjoy it. Just deal with it. Um, but yeah, so when the conditions are awful and the receivers aren't exactly going to elevate those guys in normal conditions, you get what we got on Saturday. That is a spring game wherein there were five completed passes, a total of five completed passes by three different quarterbacks. Only one went for positive yardage in the first half. And it was a really nice ball by Robbie Ashford down the seam, 39 yard, you know, pass that kind of set up a score. Uh, but if you think that a guy, or maybe did it not set up a score, I think they got stopped at the one yard line, whatever got him into the scoring position. I don't think they scored off of that, but 
if you think a guy is winning a quarterback battle because of one throw made when he isn't live, I'd say that's a little bit on the ambitious side. Robbie Ashford looks like the favorite by virtue of having the most tools to work with. And if you are really digging into the decision process, I'd still give him an edge over TJ Finley, who had this one play where Hugh Freeze was mic'd up with Doring and Freeze, Freeze diagnosed this from a mile away, where Finley just locks in on the dude in triple coverage downfield instead of hitting the open guy in the flat that would have moved the chains, would have been an easy first down. Hugh Freeze was not happy about that. Side note, shout out to my man CD, doing the Lord's work in full SEC network raincoat. They had audio issues, so he he had to go through like a hardwire thing, which sucks in a spring game because it beats it, it essentially means you can't trail the play like you're allowed to do in a spring game. And I think he was pretty much on the sideline the entire time. I was texting with him afterwards, told him that he has every right to put Auburn 2023 spring game survivor at the top of his resume. I won't push back on that. It was ugly. And Auburn fans, I don't say that to dog you, but it was ugly because of the conditions mostly. And you can put it on that. You can admit that game was a rough watch, even though the backfield looked great offensive line, getting some nice push. And I guess it was fun to see a walk-off field goal to tie the game after the defense started with a 24 to nothing lead. Fun little moment. All right. Good vibes. Take him where you can get him, especially on the planes the last couple of years. But Free said afterwards, look, we need to add guys in the portal. We're open to doing that at all positions, including quarterback. As I said the other day, I think Freeze feels more urgency than those of us on the outside because his predecessor never figured out the quarterback position. And he, remember, obviously inherited a very likely year one starter, or I shouldn't say year one starter, a multi-year starter in Bo Nix who was didn't have to go through a battle in year one with Brian Harson, And we know how that turned out. Even after year one, they still had a coup to try and get him fired. And we're two and a half years removed from the university agreeing to pay the largest buyout that we've ever seen for a head coach. Certain Gus Malzahn got a certain $21.5 million. It's a whole lot easier to sell your vision of an offense once you feel like you have a proof of concept for it. Go back to 2020 Arkansas. Sam Pittman takes over for Chad Morris. Kendall Bryles comes in. And a lot of people are probably like, hey, we've got this former four-star, this kid named KJ Jefferson. He's entering year two. Showed a little bit of promise in a pretty small sample size of year one. Why not just go with him? It's not like you got to worry about getting fired. Instead, they decide, well, we'd rather develop him and establish our offensive identity. Say what you want about Felipe Franks, but he really helped Arkansas do that in that first year of the Sam Pittman era. And instead of rushing KJ, who still had developing to do, they got to show what the offense was capable of. Even if that doesn't land you some sort of five-star quarterback, establishing that offensive identity helps you recruit your entire offense. And maybe it even prevents someone like Traylon Burks from entering the transfer portal because instead of being miserable for another year while a coaching staff, a new coaching staff figures out this young quarterback and what he does well and what he doesn't do well, he gets someone who actually looks his direction in the red zone. That's what Traylon Burks got with Felipe Franks. These things receivers like. Um, So for everyone who's just looking at this Auburn quarterback situation, say saying like, Oh, well, you know, who cares what the quarterback looks like in year one? Why don't they just stick with Ashford and, and, and develop him? Or, you know, if he fails, at least you got uh, Holden Gurner, which his mom told the broadcast crew, it's like Turner with a G. Gurner. That's it. Gurner. Easy to remember. We will pronounce it correctly. We will make it a point to do that. Mm -hmm. You're trying to establish who you are offensively. Hugh Freeze might not be able to 
to to do exactly what Cadillac Williams did and establish his offensive identity. That he won't be able to do that and establish his offensive identity. You might be able to win some more games, but you're not going to be able to truly recruit to your offense if that's the path you want to go. The path that he and Philip Montgomery want to take is not that of modern day service academy. By the way, that is primary play caller, Philip Montgomery, your boy, your draft pick in our mm-hmm. SEC offensive coordinator draft, Philip Montgomery. His if biggest uh, opponent right now looking like the rain. We can't judge anything so far, guys. We're still bullish on Philip Montgomery. Yeah, I think we can judge a little bit. I think we can judge a little bit. I think we can say we, we we feel like there are certain areas in which Auburn would like to improve. Um, if you're okay with the Auburn receiver room, um, good for you. <laughs> you are just, I got to have a little bit of what you're on because I, I want to be your friend. <laughs> if you feel like you're good about Auburn's receiver, a group that's usually not great, but. This year, I yeah. The first word that people would use to describe you is graceful. Um, <laughs> that's that's not me right now. That, that's not me right now. If you're Auburn or really any other team, and maybe you're not satisfied with your quarterback room right now, let's say you're not in a position like Ole Miss, where you added two guys who are considered legitimate threats to become starters. Here's what I would say, and this is this is the thing that I wanted to get to today. Temper your expectations. Dial them back right now for what you think the post-spring transfer portal quarterback market is going to be. Because if you're expecting someone like Sam Hartman or Devin Leary, new friend of the program, if you're expecting somebody like them to enter the transfer portal, mm, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think you are. Even Hugh Freeze was talking about this with Brandon Marcello. And he's like, you know, I can go into this thinking that I want a guy there's just no guarantee that the market's going to be that great. And that's kind of the vibe right now that coaches are giving is that we don't really know what the post spring portal market is going to look like. Again, this opens up over the weekend, April 15th, that process has been moved up. If you saw, that's why a million teams in, in FBS are having their spring games this weekend. And it is the most popular, not even close. Um, And that, that window runs through the, the 30th. So we remember the the post-spring editions of the last few years. We remember Jordan Addison, right? The guy's coming off a Blitnikoff Award. He's the best receiver in college football, but gone is Kenny Pickett. Gone is his OC, Mark Whipple, who made what now looks like a disastrous career decision to leave Pitt for Nebraska to join the Scott Frost sinking ship. <laughs> Whipple, who is currently between jobs, made what looked like the wrong move while Addison correctly viewed the landscape. He decided... Rather than stay in an offense that's inevitably going to decline, Pitt went from 11th in pass attempts per game to 85th in pass attempts per game. Why not go to USC, team up with Caleb Williams? That sounds great. Even though people hammered him for it, so this is going to be the death of college football. Like, guy made the right decision, ended up going to a situation that benefited him more. But it is totally different. For a skill position guy, a non-quarterback skill position guy to do that, as opposed to a quarterback making a post-spring decision to hit the portal. Remember last year when Lane was saying that Bryce Young should have entered the portal and just, even if he had a 0% chance of leaving Alabama, which he, he would have, I would assume, he should have still just been like, hey, yeah, go see what your value is. Lane had a point that Bryce absolutely would have coveted a ton on the open market. But even even though that he probably still would have just gotten a bigger NIL package from Bama, 
I still push back on this notion that quarterbacks in decent situations as expected starters would even consider the possibility of a post-spring transfer to go play in an entirely different offense with different terminology, different receivers, a different locker room that you have to win over. QBs aren't really willingly doing that. Joe Burrow did that in 2018 because he felt like he wasn't going to beat out Dwayne Haskins. And pre-NIL, he admitted he didn't know what his market was going to be. I mean, like we forget he almost went to Cincinnati. Okay. This wasn't, mm-hmm. this wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to go into the, I, I'm, I'm going to enter the portal because I think I'm, I'm worth all this and this. And he's like, no, I want, I want to play. I think that we look back and sliding doors of that are tremendous. That would be really fun to dig into at some point, maybe a five-year anniversary of that, which actually crap, that's this, that's like three weeks from now. <laughs> Yeah, hey, I should do that. All right. What a time. Yeah. Listen, it's funny because the doors end up in Cincinnati regardless. <laughs> Very true. Um, but even Burrow, who stepped in, he immediately had the support of his head coach. If you read, you know, the Ed Odron book that he did with Bruce Feldman, provides some more insight into that. Even though he pissed off the quarterbacks that he already had on that roster, like even Burrow, all what we know about him now. He had his struggles in that first year as a starter. And some of that was because of the moving pieces on the offensive line. And some of that was, as we saw, it is really challenging for that post-spring quarterback to truly look the part from start to finish. And the variation of the offense that you understand and how long it takes for you to feel like you have full control of it, it just takes a while. Will Levis left Penn State because he wasn't going to beat out Sean Clifford, right? He made that announcement in January of 2021, but he was still getting his like degree at Penn state. So he wasn't going to Kentucky in the spring. And I remember talking to people there being like, Oh yeah, Bo Allen's going to probably going to end up being the starter there. We talked about that on these airwaves. Will Levis isn't showing up until, until after spring ball. Um, But what can get kind of lost in the shuffle of that is at least he's able to, to kind of go through that process and be like, all right, my new offense coordinator, Liam Cohen, I can figure out what these concepts are. I can learn the offense. You know, maybe I have a few weekends where I can go meet up with my new receivers. Maybe I can go meet up with Wondell Robinson and go throw him some passes. And there are things that you can do, even if you don't plan on enrolling until after the spring to kind of make yourself a little bit more known as opposed to a guy who really doesn't make that decision until late April or early May. It's just entirely different. My point is that like both of those situations were guys who had moments But even as best case scenarios, as post-spring quarterback transfers, they both took a while to get going. Will Levis, if he's at a big-time program after that first month he had at Kentucky, he gets benched. He does, but he's at Kentucky and there's nobody behind him. And he's in a situation with a new offense. And we're like, okay, well, we got to be able to work with this. And there was an understanding he's going to get better. These guys who arrive late in the game, they always end up having that learning curve that's still there for him, even if we sometimes overlook that. And look at the weapons that those guys had. Young Justin Jefferson, Mm -hmm. young Jamar Chase. I mean, pre-draft Wandale, who was just insane in 2021. There's nobody like that on Auburn's roster. Like, yeah. there's not. And and their plan is they're gonna be really active in the portal at, at receiver. <laughs> that that one dude might be satisfied. Graceful dude, he he's satisfied. <laughs> the rest of us are not. I don't think anybody's looking at that situation. You might push back on Heather Dinich when she tweets out that you need to be patient about receivers, but deep down in your heart of hearts, you know, dang, gotta add some talent there. Gotta add some talent because of the fact that it feels like they have a bunch of like third options at the position they they've got a nice sell 
if there is a potential Jordan Addison like receiver who hits the portal, though, I don't think one should hold their breath on that necessarily, but that receiver at the same time might also be like, wait, who's your quarterback? Is it the guy who didn't even complete 49% of his, or didn't even complete 50% of his passes last year? I'll, I'll pass. And if you're trying to sell quarterback, I'm not sure if you're Auburn, the pitch is going to include, yeah, we've got eight new offensive linemen, probably not going to make the cut. We're going to be an improved offensive line. Auburn should be an improved offensive line, but I don't know that you're necessarily going to lead with that. That's specific to Auburn, but I think it's worth remembering that the post spring quarterback market is different than the post regular season quarterback market. Even Jaden Daniels last year, he was kind of a tweener. He was a, a mid spring guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he tries to get to LSU as soon as possible because obviously why wouldn't you, you want those spring reps and he ends up getting there like late March. I actually looked at his bio page today. It says he enrolled at LSU in January. He announced his portal, like he was entering the portal in February. So was he hmm. like taking online classes? That's possible, but he wasn't wow. on campus until after March. Seriously, go look that up right now. Jaden Daniels enrolls at LSU in January. Like, so there are certain things that can be done. Maybe there are things that are being done behind the scenes right now. That, so that right there takes him almost out of that conversation because he had already had the conversations, everything. Like as far as the terminology goes, he already had the playbook. Yeah. So when he pulled up, it's not like he came in. That's actually really interesting because he still kind of struggled to get the playbook a little bit, but it would have been way worse if he was actually leaving like now and making a decision now. Exactly. Because I looked back on that. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's where somebody can kind of push back. But I mean... <laughs> How did Jane Daniels operate those first few, like the first few weeks of the season? Like a guy who didn't on know the, the ground offense yet. without using his arm. Very similar to Ashford uh, for most of yeah. the last year. Yeah. He's like, I don't know the offense yet. I'm going to, you know, I, hopefully I figure this out down the road. He looked, he looked better in the latter half of the season for sure. But there was still that, that, that learning curve that was still pretty steep for him. And that was somebody that arrived late in spring still and was at least able to be there for a spring game and, and stuff like that. Even Joe Milton at Tennessee, there were there were those rumors that they had him on campus and they were trying to hide him all over the place. It's just like a weird thing. Hiding I don't, I don't Joe know. Milton. Yeah, good luck hiding Joe Milton. It's like, goodness gracious. Um, but th- that There's post explosion on the side of the campus, like what's that? It's like oh, it's Joe Milton playing cornhole. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe Milton thought that you could throw a cornhole like a hundred yards, and he did it. <laughs> And he actually, it struck a human. And now, and now we've got to answer all these questions. Why is Joe Milton on campus? Um, But the the post spring thing, it's just hard. It's really hard. Even someone like Levis, uh, pre spring transfer to Kentucky, like going through all the terminology, you can learn all those different things, but there's getting out there and getting those reps and, and that stuff takes time. It just does. If there are guys who haven't even hit the portal yet, which again, opens this weekend, and they don't know who their OC is going to be or who their new receivers are, they've missed out on some valuable time. They really have. I tried to find the best post-spring quarterback transfer last year because even though the undergrad rule changed in 2021, it's not really fair to include that class because that didn't happen until later in the summer. It's weird to think that when Wandell transferred to Kentucky, and I remember even when we had him on the show, um, they didn't officially know that he was going to be eligible for that year until later in the summer, which... Feels like it's longer ago. I don't know. Time's a flat circle post pandemic. Right. It's hard to keep track of that. But the best post spring quarterback edition last year among guys who didn't hit the portal until after the spring, or at least like late in the spring, that process, they didn't go through spring ball with their new team. The JT Daniels that, Award. It, it, look, 
Yeah. So like JT Daniels, when he goes from USC to Georgia, because mm-hmm. JT Daniels might've been a post spring edition at West Virginia, but he hit the portal in January. Yeah. Right. So like he made that decision early on the closest, ex- the closest example I could actually find of like a guy who steps in, he ends up being the starter, despite the fact that he transferred post spring, Emory Jones at Arizona state entered the portal, March 18th, middle spring ball. Didn't transfer to Arizona state until May. Um, that's not great. Also of note, Emory Jones entered the portal again, transferred to Cincinnati after struggling at Arizona state. So, um, make of that what you will, the list of quarterbacks who decide after spring ball, Hey, I need to go somewhere else and I'll be really good in year one. That sample size is small. It really is. Maybe the window is going to change things a little bit. And maybe there was that guy who thought about entering post, you know, that, that, that post regular season window and then he just wasn't quite sure. And then he went through spring ball and he's like, ah, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm second on the depth chart. I'm not going to be playing, but that takes a lot of self-awareness. Like it, it really, really does. Um, I, I think that that's something that we're going to, I am really interested to see the way that that plays out. And I'll, I'm, I'm willing to, to kind of correct myself because I just don't know what this market is going to yield. And I'll admit that it's possible that somebody does the Kiffin thing and enters the portal because they want to get a ton of NIL money. Auburn swoops in and goes, boom, let's roll. All it takes is one. Totally get it. I also think that if they were in that position at Auburn, probably would have found a way to make it work for Grayson McCall or Spencer Sanders. So who really knows? I just think that if your post-spring quarterback answer is, well, everything's going to be fine. We can just find that option in the portal. I think you're just, I think you're being ambitious. I, I, I really do. And I, and I think that we need to have a little bit more nuance as we talk about transfer portal quarterbacks and separate those post regular season transfers from the post spring transfers. It's just a different learning curve, a very steep one. Um, I, I mean, I even did the exercise trying to think of like guys that I'd be intrigued by if they hit the portal. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be great. I mean, it would be maybe surprising, but it would be like, whoa, okay, all right, that that guy's gonna have a market. There's gonna be a ton of people all over him, like a a Brock Vandegrift. If he all of a sudden decided, I'm not beating out Carson Beck for the starting job at Georgia, right? I I have that self awareness, the self awareness that Joe Burrow had five years ago. Which again, don't take that for granted. These quarterbacks they get into the battle, and when there's no incumbent starter, they think they're gonna win the battle. And yep. look, it's hard to tell them you're actually not. And it, it takes a, a rare case to actually take a step back and say, my path to playing time is blocked. I need to go somewhere else. Because I don't know that Brock Vandegrift is wired like that. Dude thought he was going to start last year. We had Teddy Greenstein on the podcast. He's talking about his dad saying, yeah, he's like legitimately thought about, hey, if I'm not starting here, I might have to go seek an option elsewhere. Would it be a stunner to see Brock Vandegrift say going into year three, I'm going to hit the portal? No. Is he going to do that post spring? That might be a little bit tougher. I mean, these guys transfer so early in the process. Like Dylan Gabriel, when he's leaving, he's leaving UCF. He did that in November. Yeah. November. I mean, just had a little free agency with UCLA and everything. Yeah. They're going to Oklahoma. And like, I don't know. Who would have thought UCLA was the better football team? He actually messed that one up. (laughs) Well, the DTR thing that played out the way that it did. So it's just, there are moving pieces, but there aren't as many moving pieces post spring as there are post regular season. So it's just, 
it's there are murky waters that the teams needing a quarterback are going to have to to sort through. This would be the ultimate SDS podcast jinx if we just got a bevy of stud quarterbacks hitting the portal this weekend. And by stud, I'm not just talking about like a former four star out of high school who has like three or four years of eligibility. You couldn't start at Texas Tech. We're talking like actual okay. This guy was a five-star or something like that. And, or this guy actually started a bunch of games. I think I looked at it. It's like, and we were talking about this before we came on air. If the only uncommitted guy who you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy started a good amount of games. Chance Nolan started 17 games at Oregon State. And if you can't make it in a Jonathan Smith offense, what are you doing? saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you're on to something there. And it's, it's so many things, right? Because, I mean, the only commonality that you can have with these quarterbacks who leave kind of this late in that uh, year of the process, right? Like not post, like, well, I guess early in the following year, right? Like not, not in the postseason, but kind of like in spring is that they're a guy who has kind of given up on their current situation. And also the current situation has given up on them. Because the thing yes. is, there are plenty of guys who have, who can be kind of sold hopium, right? Exactly. Like you said, everyone's a competitor, specifically quarterbacks. And like with Joe Burrow and like Urban Meyer and everything, it's like, Oh, like you don't want me here. Like you said, like, like, and there's, I'm not going like, to go through that whole thing again, but it's like, they pretty wanted much him. being, they wanted him there. They absolutely wanted him. No, there. no, I know, but they I'm sold saying him on like, that. I know, yeah, but sure. I'm saying it didn't work. Like in terms of the, Oh, like there's not a clear path for me. I'm not going to do the Tathan thing. Cause you don't believe that. But I'm just saying like, they did enough that kind of gave him the writing on the wall of like, I need to go find something somewhere else. And like you said, a lot of the time they end up at like a Cincinnati or something. Um, But they're like, it's, it's kind of a two way, like this isn't going to work out for us from both sides. Because like, like you said, a lot of guys think, Oh, well, I'm just an injury away from starting. No big deal. I'll sit on the bench and that'll make me into a better teammate because you saw what happened to Jaden Daniels. We lost Arizona when he left. Arizona State, the guys like trashing his locker and everything. Like the, you, the nightmare is you end up like Brandon Wimbush. Now there's a, a mm. blast from the past, right? Oh, yeah. Brandon Wimbush started a lot of games in Notre Dame, lost a battle, left, went to UCF to go play for Josh Heupel's offense at that point in time, and just never won the job and just ended his career as a backup at UCF because he couldn't transfer again. And so you have to have a modicum of number one, certainty in your previous situation. And number two, trust in your current situation that you knew that coach from somewhere else. That coach talked to you and said, dude, yeah, it's not really like I can't guarantee you a spot, but I can give you a track. Um, Kind of like the Ogeron thing, talking about the crawfish. Um, But then, you know, if you look at Levis and Burrow, both of those guys are psycho competitors, psycho yes. competitors. I mean, like everything that you hear and you hear like there's a podcast out there with one of LSU's defensive players. Um, I think it's Andre said that, but it was like, oh, yeah, from day one, Joe Barrow got on campus. We knew he was a dog. He was like fighting people in practice. He fought people at Iowa State. He came to LSU, started fighting people day one. It was like, yeah, this guy might not be. He might be kind of mid, but like he's a competitor. Like, don't mess with him. Like, you don't want to be in a competition with him because he'll find a way to win. And like, same thing with uh, Levis, like Levis was this guy who was kind of like a dual threat guy. And, and again, it takes a perfect mis- mix of stuff, you know, talk about Sean Clifford, Dwayne Haskins, guys that were just unimpeatable. But with Levis, it was like, okay, I'm the most athletic quarterback here. All I need is time. I'm just going to make this work for me. And like you said, like, yeah, it could be a little bit rocky, but eventually my talent's going to win out. So you have to have this perfect combination of stuff to make it work is all I'm saying. And even if you try to do the Wimbush and, oh, I'm a former four-star, I started all these games at this other school, like, of course I'll win the job at UCF. That's kind of how you end up in these weird situations where it's like, ah, maybe not, dude. Like, you get to practice and you don't know the terminology. You're not on the same page as the receivers. And suddenly you're just a guy with a degree from two different places. And so, yeah, like, that's the fear, right? Is like, if you kind of fizzle out and you're just like all right like i i just this wasn't for me i'm gonna go get my next job 
at least you've done that without pissing off an entire locker room. And I think that that really weighs heavy on quarterbacks who are the leaders and are getting guys that believe in them. I think we more often see that out of quarterbacks now um, than we do skill guys because skill guys are just like, all right, bro, I'll go catch a ball from anybody. I'll go receive a handoff from anybody. I'll go totally tackle different. anybody. Yep. Even like dude from Oregon State at LSU, he's like a four-year starter, fifth-year senior. He's like, peace, I'm playing in the SEC. See y'all. Like you don't really see that as much with quarterbacks. No, you just don't. You don't because it, it, the the dynamics of play are entirely different. And you're right. You bring up a great point with with Burrow and Levis. You have to have that mindset. And like I know, I say I say it a little bit tongue in cheek sometimes, like the alpha dog mindset. But yeah. if you if you listen to the Devin Leary interview that we had a, a couple of weeks ago, he he talked about that and getting called out by Stoops about the leadership thing and how you know as a transfer you're kind of trying to feel things out a little bit. And that situation is foreign to him. Now, Devin Leary knows what it's like to be able to, to kind of lead a locker room, but he's led one locker room. And he's been, when you've been at the right. same place for five years, as opposed to having the mindset of understanding, I need to walk in here. I need to look the part. I need to act the part. And I need to take this opportunity and run with it. And there are very few guys who can master all of those things. And the learning curve is really, really difficult. Remember when TJ Finley leaves LSU and he goes to Auburn and we're here and Mike Bobo's on Zoom calls with him and they're doing all this work because- You imagine Mike Bobo at a Zoom call. Let's just pause there for a second. He, I bet he's pointing straight up his nostrils and he's sitting there. <laughs> How's this thing work? He's got, yeah, he's, Mike Bobo is definitely a, um, a phone on Zoom <laughs> permanently large echo in the background type of guy for yes. sure the, the entire time to be fair most most uh most i think most coaches in that spot definitely are um but like i remember hearing about that about how you know it was it was the pandemic and stuff and finley's going from lsu to auburn and they're like doing this stuff every day because your time is so valuable and while it feels like in college football the offseason is long i think it's entirely different for a college, a, a college athlete at the quarterback position to learn a new scheme as opposed to an NFL free agent who, you know, we'll wait and see what we hear about this Lamar Jackson stuff. Like right. it's just kind of understood, like, all right, whatever place Lamar goes to, they're going to kind of build an offense around him. Maybe if he goes back to, obviously if he goes back to Baltimore, he doesn't have to worry about that, but you would think, okay, he's going to walk into any sort of situation. They're going to see his skill set. They're going to work around that. And it's just different at the college level. Now there's certain things that they'll they'll do to kind of help you out in that process. But even with Burrow, they didn't figure out they could they could do design runs with him until like late in the year. Nor could mm -hmm. they because of the lack of quarterback depth that we talk about a lot with Miles Brennan being hurt as like an emergency guy. So point being, we're rambling here because there are a lot of factors in this, and right. we can talk about this guy being a great fit at this place all we want, and we're gonna throw around hypotheticals because that's what we do. That's what we get paid to do in this business, and especially as we talk about the transfer portal. But the, the stars really do have to align. They have to align if you're going to take off and be that answer and not just be a guy, not just be a mm -hmm. guy, but truly be the answer to make your fan base feel like, ah, oh, all right, we're good. And more times than not, it doesn't work out. It just doesn't. It's really hard. It's really hard. But the, ma the market's going to be fascinating. I'm going to be all over it. I'm, I'm warning you right now, everybody listening to this, I'm going to overreact to the market. Knowing these trends and knowing what what challenge lies ahead for a lot of these guys. I will be overreacting. We're probably going to sound a little bit critical because that's the nature of the beast, but I don't know that there are going to be a ton of teams in the sec looking for a post spring quarterback addition to be the starter Auburn right. Mizzou outside of that. 
Yeah, and the thing that's tough too, like with all this stuff, is that Freeze basically is in the situation where he has a ton of job security, and he probably just needs to, like you said, build his offense and find that identity because then that's going to open up the transfer situation in the next year. But he has no reason to build an offense around a quarterback at all, really, at this point, because the way that college football works is it's all just stonks. It's a stonk market, and it's like, hey, once you put that year or two kind of under your belt, and it's like oh, this is all Miss Hugh Freeze. We can get all these receivers playing for us. We can get all this stuff going on. But from Hugh Freeze's standpoint, it's almost his system is so much more important than a single quarterback success because that is how he's going to get recruits. That's how he's going to get future players. That's how he's going to get all this different stuff. So yeah, it's almost like you'd rather go like six wins, seven wins, but put in your offense and be able to sell hopium than just keep changing quarterbacks and do like a running offense and a passing offense because it's like, well, what are we signing up to if we end up transferring here, you know? Yeah, and there's it's tough because it's a balance. We talk about it with Jimbo a lot about how <laughs> being so rigid in your yep. system that you can't do these things to necessarily recruit to it. And if you can't call tempo in, in the way that you, you should be in a modern offense to take advantage of that, then are, well, like, what are you holding yourself back with here? But you're right. It gets to a certain point where you want to just say, you know what? Screw it. We want to be able to establish these principles. If we don't, we're not going to be able to, to sell future talent. We're not going to be able to, if we run a service academy offense, you know what we're not getting out of the transfer portal? You know what we're not getting on the recruiting trail? Stud receivers. Yep. <laughs> You're not. You might get some great offensive line. That's that, that's all well and good, but you have to be able to establish some of these principles in year one, and it's what Hugh Freeze is after. It's why he stepped back into this CEO role instead of being like, head down, I'm just going to call plays the entire time. I want to be able to take a step back and have this view of what I think my offense should look like and the best possible way for it to operate. Maybe it'll be with Robbie Ashford. Maybe it'll be with somebody else, but whoever it's with, if it ends up being a, 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 a post-spring quarterback transfer, just take a deep breath, try and have realistic expectations because chances are they're in there for a reason and chances are they're going to be swimming in information for the foreseeable future. All right, before we kick it to Alyssa Lang, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. Sports betting, not legal in a bunch of states, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera. Most of the SEC states, sports betting, not legal, but Underdog Fantasy, they've got you covered. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play in these contests. You can pick higher or lower for different players, really similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, legal going live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. Underdog is awesome. It is super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room. Maybe you're doing a little MLB watching this time of year. Who knows? You can win real money. You can do this in all those states in which sports gambling is not legal. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Alyssa Lang. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the great Alyssa Lang. Uh, Alyssa, let's get the food question out of the way. You know what's coming. I asked Trevor about this a couple months ago when I had him on. Um, I've got to get the firsthand account from you. How did you grade your Krispy Kreme race performance? And if you ever had to put yourself through that for some odd reason, you know, it's the brand, you got to keep it up. Uh, what would you do differently? 
Yeah, I have a lot of post-race thoughts on that. I will say I sent a few tweets throughout the race, and I've never been asked more about something by coaches across the SEC than that when I went to shoot-arounds then the next couple weeks. Different coaches going, now, what did you do? <laughs> what, what was this race? Um, I would give myself a C- minus probably. Now, I will say there's some context here. My brother went to NC State University, and they put this event on every year. He hit me up about a week and a half, maybe two weeks before the race. And he said, hey, um, actually off this weekend, do you want to do this race? And I happen to be off that weekend. So I'm like, yeah. So there's no training involved here for this. I came in really confident, though. Um, for those who don't know what we're talking about, the Krispy Kreme Challenge in Raleigh, North Carolina, is two and a half mile run to the Krispy Kreme, eat a dozen donuts, two and a half miles back. You're supposed to complete it in less than an hour. There was a casual division and a competitor's division. I was in the casual division. So I came in really, really confident, right? Love donuts. I'm thinking Krispy Kreme. Those things are just basically sugar pockets. Like they yeah. go down pretty easily, right? Like I, I, I do a lot of running in my spare time. So I felt good about that part. We're, we're feeling good. What I failed to consider, I don't know why in my brain, I thought the donuts would be hot when I was eating them. They it didn't was heat them up. They're just like a no. cold box. It's like, well, and, and I don't know how they even would heat them up. Honestly, yeah. that's why it was dumb on me to think that that would happen. It was about 25 degrees the morning of the race. And I mean, there's thousands of people competing in this thing. So they've got the, the boxes literally just stacked up on tables. So the runners can grab them. I'm mashing down three at a time and trying to make a donut sandwich because there's a big difference in a hot and fresh Krispy Kreme and the way it just melts in your mouth and you can crush six or seven in one sitting versus a 25 degree been sitting in the cold Krispy Kreme. So I think I, I can't remember what my total was now. I think I got somewhere in the seven range That's after I, I was pretty proud of that, honestly, like out of a dozen and I had just run two and a half miles and it was also 845 in the morning. Like I was pretty proud of myself. So my dad, I think, put away nine. And to this day, he is still talking smack about how he beat both of his children, even though I had to basically drag him across the finish line for the run part, which he appreciated. So uh, next year, going back to the drawing board, I would probably work on my donut side, felt good about the run, uh, would probably put some more training in when it comes to speed eating cold Krispy Kreme donuts. But I didn't puke. So, well, I, okay. So that's what I was going to ask. Like the, this, the two and a half back is, is just terrible. Like I, yeah. I can't imagine the human body. If you don't reject that, that's actually a sign that you're, you're you've got some bad habits in your life. If you could just process that and that's no big deal. Like, oh yeah, I just housed a dozen donuts. It's 28 degrees out here, whatever it is. If you get through that. I, so I actually think it's, it's more a testament to like kind of where you're at in your life that that wasn't something that you could just wake up and do. And it's probably a better sign for long-term health that you at least had some struggle and you couldn't just down 12 donuts that easily. You know, that was going to be my next point is I can tell I'm starting to get old, right? Because this, this is a college event. There were a lot of college students participating. And as I was probably about on the first leg of the run, the first two and a half miles, I was probably about half a mile from the Krispy Kreme. So hadn't even hadn't even set eyes on the Krispy Kreme yet. And there were a couple of, they looked like college age, age boys running back already. And they're in shorts and a t-shirt 
with like sweatbands on all dressed up and they're running with their empty Krispy Kreme box. Like they've already run to the Krispy Kreme, eaten the 12 donuts before I've even got within a half a mile of the Krispy Kreme. That's not right. And they're just sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, when I was 21, this would have been my thing. Like I could have crushed this race. I'm starting to feel the age kick in. Um, my brother, who's four years younger than me, he finished the race before us, but he cheated because he has celiac disease, which means he can't eat gluten so he ate one donut and that just kept running because he's Get like what you guys here. want me to be sick you want me to be sick so my dad and i are sitting here struggling and my 25 year old brother's like see at the finish line and my dad and i are just left in the dust basically but he cheated so it doesn't really count but yeah i i don't know if i want to be able to say oh yeah easily got to got to the Krispy cream <laughs> ate a dozen ran back no problem that might be a sign of some problems to your point okay so so when you haven't been housing Krispy Kremes and running races, uh, you've, you've been very busy the, the last month or so. You were all over the, the coverage of, of the women's tournament, which ends up following this, this dream script for the sport. South Carolina fans won't want to hear this. A South Carolina grad like yourself won't want to hear this. But everyone and their mother wanted to see Caitlin Clark in that championship game. And the fact that she gets to face LSU, we get this controversy, which probably shouldn't have been a controversy at all. But the fact that like it's drawing national headlines and debate shows are talking about it, it with the angel Reese thing and the taunting, like all of that ends up being, wow, this really moved the needle of this tournament. What's been your takeaway watching all of this kind of play out and having the sport in the limelight for several reasons. Yeah, it's been really cool. First of all, you know, since I got to the SEC network five years ago, that was something that I really jumped into head first as far as our women's coverage and our women's shows and trying to help grow it within the conference. So it's been a, a really cool journey just for the short time that I've covered the sport compared to so many others to watch it grow to this to this uh, height, honestly, and to talk to Steffi Sorensen and Andrea Carter, who played in our conference and played for these teams and to sit there and kind of watch them get starry eyed, looking at what this tournament has become and looking at the fact that it's sold out and it's being debated about on first take and every show across the country. It's just a really cool thing. And to your point, the stars really aligned for that tournament this year and going into our final four coverage, I got a lot of questions as far as what's different this year. What is it about this year that has people paying more attention? And I think it was just the perfect storm of not only talent and great play on the floor, which we've seen for a long time and we've had for a long time in the SEC, but you had storylines and you had characters, whether you liked them or you hated them, you had people who were giving you things to talk about. Certainly when it comes to this LSU team and Angel Reese and Kim Mulkey and however you feel about the type of basketball they play and the kind of feistiness that they play with, which I love, by the way, I have nothing wrong with it. Um, it, it generates those talking points. And the fact that you mentioned the controversy, which I think is so silly. I mean, if you're genuinely upset about what happened on the floor at the end of the national championship game, I, I don't know. I feel like that anger is probably better placed elsewhere. At the same time, that kind of debate kind of tells me that the sport has arrived. Like we're, yeah. we're here. This is what you want, right? You want these big conversations to be raging across social media, to be had across Twitter. And obviously there are, uh, are parts of the, the conversation that are a little bit more sensitive than others. But I mean, the actual game and the talking trash and the how do you feel about that? You didn't really have those kinds of discussions on Twitter five years ago. So the fact that people are getting so fired up defending one side or the other, 
honestly is really cool. That's what, that's what we do in the NFL. That's what we do in the NBA college football. You see that on Twitter all the time and the sport deserves it. Honestly, you know, the South Carolinas are, are some of those teams that have helped build it to where it is at this point, what Don Staley has built in Columbia, despite not getting it done this season, what they have done for the sport has been insurmountable as well. So I feel like already looking forward to next year with a lot of these characters, if you will, coming back, it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now the numbers are here to prove it. The fact that it was the most watched national championship game ever. Some of these final four matchups outrating the most watched NBA games on ESPN. I, I mean, if you're still sitting here arguing on social media or replying to tweets saying no one watches women's basketball, you, you're, you just can't read at this point because the facts are out there. The numbers are out there and it's really cool. And it's been an honor to be a part of it and to have hopefully a small part in what we do on the conference side. It's so much different than turning on TV after UConn wins a national championship. Who UConn, like they deserve a lot of credit for yeah. having these this this dominant run. But the question is always, oh, is UConn bad for women's basketball? And like it, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, it's been better to watch more new blood and to be to be able to see some of these storylines actually play out where the conversation is different and it's not just some copy and paste thing. And I think there is a limit to how far something like that can go. And if South Carolina had won the championship and then if they go on this run of like three, four years, that's probably the conversation we're having. But instead, it's very different. And you talk about that excitement for next year in terms of household names in college sports. You're the perfect person to ask this. There's, there's like... There's there's a mount if you're making a Mount Rushmore, it's Caitlin Clark, it's Angel Reese, it's Caleb Williams. You're starting with those three. Like outside of that, and be, you know, Sunny Lee's not going to be back at Auburn next year, so that maybe that's part of it as well. But maybe like if a Drew Timmy or a, a Zach Eady or like a, an Oscar Chibwe, if one of those guys returns, maybe they'd be part of it. But even that, you're kind of maybe maybe Brock Bowers, but even though it feels like if you're making that list, it starts with those three, two of which just got this great spotlight. Is that kind of a, a fair take to have with how much their popularity really grew on a national landscape over the course of the last few weeks? Yeah, I, I would agree with that 1000%. And again, you know, when it gets into college football season and we get into the weeds here in the fall, some of that will sort of fall by the wayside just because of the timing of the seasons and, and where our heads are at. But as soon as we hit December, January, we're going to be talking about Angel Reese right where we picked up, right where we left off when it comes to women's college basketball and just the sport in general given how much we talked about it for the last month or two. I, I mean, Connor, I, I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan. And yesterday I watched the, re I don't watch it live. It's up past my bedtime. So I yeah. watched it a lot of times on Sunday morning. That's how the real old yep. people do it. And I'm watching Weekend Update and they literally have a sketch where they're featuring Angel Reese. We're welcoming Angel Reese in to Weekend Update. And I'm texting with Steffi Sorensen and we've just talked about how Big picture, you pull back the curtain and you think about where Angel Reese was 370 days ago. And when she was at Maryland and she wasn't really playing at Maryland and things weren't really going her way. And very few people had heard of Angel Reese unless you were deep into women's basketball recruiting, deep into the sport and you're watching everybody. One year goes by, she transfers to LSU and now is one of the most talked about, not just basketball players, not just women's college basketball players, but to your point, college athletes or even athletes at yeah. this point. I mean, I mean, just in general in sports in general, and it's just crazy how quickly it happened and how quickly it can happen. And that's a really cool thing. I think when you just look at what it took for LSU to win this championship, 
and what Kim Mulkey did in two years with the transfer portal and bringing in a player like Angel Reese and what the transfer portal can do for some of these college athletes. I mean, you mentioned Caleb Williams, Drew Timmy, Angel Reese, just these big brands. Where is Angel Reese without the transfer portal? I don't know. I, I don't know if we can answer that question. Obviously, nobody uh, can can look into a different future, but it's hard to believe that she would have had this kind of rise this quickly if it wasn't for all these pieces falling into place. I'm kind of going on a tangent here because obviously it's still a hot button topic when it comes to NIL and the transfer portal and how all those things go hand in hand. But at the end of the day, it's good for the sport and it's fun to talk about. If you're a sports fan, who doesn't want the kind of debates as far as, well, what should Angel Reese do? What are the pieces that that Kim Mulkey should put around her next year coming out of the portal? Uh, where where was she last year compared to where she was this year and what she's done for this team. So uh, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's healthy debate. I think it's fun. And like I said, I think we're going to pick it up right where we left off next season. Cause South Carolina is not going anywhere either. And now LSU is here to stay. So it, even in our little sec bubble, it's about to get that much more fun. I think when we fast forward to next season and years to come. It's funny because I think there in a lot of other situations, there would be this outcry about why can't they go to the WNBA? That rule is looking like, man, like that, that that's really holding them back. And I've seen, there have been a few pieces on that. I think Washington posted something on that of, wow, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark, they should be able to go to the WNBA. They'd be top draft picks right now. And we also selfishly kind of want to see them in college because we get to see them still in these elements where, you know, it's very, it's a little bit easier to get lost in the shuffle in WNBA, you know, in the same sort of school affiliation, all those different things, but also because they're going to crush NIL and they're going to make a ton yeah. of money there. The Caitlin Clark thing is fascinating because I usually resist the, the, the obvious comps that people like to make, but she has the ability to be the female version of Steph Curry. And what Steph Curry has done is for a generation is kind of inspire like, Hey, look, if you spend this time on your craft as an outside shooter, which you know, we've had it's not that we haven't had great outside shooters in women's basketball, but doing something that where it doesn't feel like it's some physical anomaly where she's like six, seven or six, eight, like, you know, Candace Parker throwing down a dunk. You're like, how many people are going to be able to actually do something right. like that? Or Lisa Leslie or something like that, whereas she feels it's relatable, but it's also not. And that's, I think, where where she has separated herself and why there is this this pull towards her moving forward. What, what do you think she can do to inspire a new generation? Because it feels like she has that ability with what she's doing in her style that I, I think is just so unique in a sport that really kind of needs it in this modern era. Yeah, I, I think it's it's extremely clear that inspiring the new generation, I think, is on the list of almost givens at this point, based on what we've seen from Caitlin Clark and what we saw from her in this tournament. And, and I've seen people get upset about, oh, you can't just call every good three-point shooter Steph Curry. And it's like, do you remember what Steph Curry did in his NCAA tournament when he played at Davidson? Like this, this is what Caitlin Clark is doing, but a little bit more. I mean, when was the last time you saw someone fearlessly pull up off balance from the logo and sink a three, like no problem, multiple times in a final Four in a national championship game. That's unbelievable. And the reason why I say that the younger generation, I think is a given is because I've had so many conversations over the last week with some of the older generation mm. that has gotten into this game just because of this year's tournament. My dad, first and foremost, my dad was never really been a huge basketball fan in general, it just wasn't really a sport he grew up with. He grew up in New York. So he was a Knicks 
Jets Mets fan. The Eesh. Knicks had never really been good for him. The other two, I think he just prayed and remained loyal year after year after year. So basketball was just never anything again that he played or he had that extra interest in. My dad graduated from Virginia Tech and has always been the biggest Virginia Tech football fan. That's where I grew up going to games. He became so obsessed with watching the Virginia Tech women's team play this season because one, they were good. And that was exciting for him, right? To pull for a team for his school uh, that's playing really well. He's texting me saying, if Virginia Tech and South Carolina make it to the national championship, me and my fraternity brothers are going to book tickets. We're going to come out there. We're going to watch the game. And I'm like, that's awesome. You, you and all your 55 year old dad friends are going to come out here to watch a women's basketball game. That's awesome. Like, that's just not something that you often see, or, or certainly in my experience, when, when you're scrolling through the internet and it makes it feel like that's something you don't often see. Not only that, I'm on the phone yesterday with my future father-in-law, Trevor, Trevor's father. And he said, you know, I have never in my life sat down and watched a women's college basketball game before. It's just never been something that I have taken the time to do. And I am so glad that I watched that national championship game. And, and he did say, he's like, he turns it on to be supportive of me. Cause he knows that that's what I'm doing. He's like, I, I turn it on to watch you, but then I'm watching this girl for Iowa. And oh my gosh, she can't miss. And it's so electric. I watched the whole game. It was awesome. Awesome. So I look at what Caitlin Clark and that team has done for 55 plus yeah. men and women who are tuning into the game. And if they're getting those type of viewers who are kind of set in their sports ways, set in their teams, know what they like, know what they're watching, have the schedule ready to go. I have no doubt that the younger generation and the future players who are going to be idolizing Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston and Angel Reese they're already all in. And that was one of the cool moments, honestly, from Dallas was we were at all the open practices on Thursday for all four teams. When Caitlin Clark was on the floor and they're getting done and she's running out of the tunnel, there were South Carolina fans, LSU fans, Iowa fans, Virginia Tech fans, all trying to get pictures with her. When Aaliyah Boston is exiting the floor. Same thing. Iowa fans begging for selfies with Aaliyah Boston. When Angel Reese is leaving the floor and Flage Johnson, same thing. South Carolina fans asking for pictures. Iowa fans asking for pictures. It was just a really cool thing to watch. All these little girls, little boys, please sign my shoes, sign my jersey, sign my poster. I want to be just like you. And that's what the sport needs. And that's what the sport has. And not only do they have it, they have athletes who understand that that's the kind of pull that they have. And that's the kind of influence that they can have. Angel Reese has been outspoken about that, right? I want little girls and little boys to be able to look at me and say, I want to play like her. And for the variety of personalities and the variety of skill set that we saw in this past year's final four, I, I think the sky's the limit genuinely. We need LSU Iowa on the schedule next year. Yes, we do. Yes, I, we do. <laughs> how, how does that, can that happen? I mean, is that unrealistic to think that? I mean, I realize like they're both going to want to host the game, but I mean, goodness gracious, if there's ever a time like that game, you could put that game on the other side of the world and that would still have so many eyeballs on it. And like, I, I think that that seems like a no brainer. Is this something that, that can realistically be discussed and, and be on the table for next season? Yeah, I, I don't see why not, honestly. I mean, what Iowa announced that they had to pause season ticket sales because there was such a high demand for women's basketball tickets going into next season already. I mean, if you threw us a rematch between these two, knowing that it's so many of the same faces back on the floor, I mean, let's let's do what we see in football, right? And have a home and home. Like I would even play 
pay to see him play twice in a season. Could you imagine that? Like once towards the beginning of the year, maybe once in the middle. I I don't know. I don't know if they would agree to that, knowing how detrimental loss could be, you know, further towards the end of the season. But I think both of these coaches between coach Mulkey and coach Bluter, they understand what this kind of game could do for the game overall. And that's something that I know they're both really passionate about. You know, we, we chatted with Mulkey a little bit on Thursday and I, I jokingly asked her, you know, how does it feel to have the most talked about outfits in the entire country right now? And, and she laughed and she said, you know, it's cool, but I do hope that if someone's tuning in to say, I wonder what that lady is wearing tonight, that then they watch us play ball. And then maybe they learn a little bit, something about LSU basketball. And then maybe they learn a little bit, something about the game. And then maybe they get interested and they stick around and they watch until the end. And, and that's the epitome of what happened this year. Right. So I, I do think that there is a high possibility. At least I hope so a high likelihood. I hope the powers that be are working on making that happen. Cause we need that forever. Who would have ever thought Iowa LSU would have a basketball rival rivalry, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always just associated with like the citrus bowl or something like that, but yeah, this is, this is way better than, than anything like that. Um, I've been wanting to ask you this for a while and I was going to put you on the spot on your airwaves, but I decided not to do that for whatever reason. Have you had beers with Don Staley? No, I haven't. I would love to though. I would, I would absolutely love, I actually tried to, in the off season last year, we pitched an idea where I would drive, cause I'm only about an hour and a half from campus down there. Um, I have an obsession with Dawn's dog champ Staley. She knows this. It's always my first question to her. Whenever I see her as champ here, did champ make the trip? Uh, he unfortunately did not in Dallas. So I pitched an idea of I'll drive down there with Marvel. We'll do a little walk and talk by the river you know we'll go to a dog park catch up on what's the off season like for don staley champ and marvel can play and don was all about it they were all about it they were just like one problem champ thinks he's a person and he thinks he's kind of like you know better than other dogs like he's not really a dog player guy i don't know if it would it would translate well and i just can't help but laugh because if you've ever seen videos of him following her around he he does think he's like her little son like he thinks he's a human child he is the king right rightfully so so (laughs) i tried to make that happen but maybe now beers with don staley has to actually happen She's got to be a beer gal, right? Philly gal. Like she's, she's throwing one back at the bar for sure. Yes. I, I, I've I've said for a while, like that, that is what I want to be able to do. She is a top three coach that I would just want to have beers with and just want to be able to shoot the breeze, not have to worry about any sort of filter or anything like that, because you get her in that kind of setting and the stories that she would tell, I'm sure it would just be absolutely awesome. Um, more pressing. I'm sure there are a lot of people saying like, you see the style, you see the Caitlin Clark mocking, you know, like, Oh, shoot it from out there. Shoot from out there. She's got to get some shooters in the portal, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. And looking at who's in the portal right now, I mean, Haley Van Lith went into the portal. What was yeah. it yesterday or the day before or earlier this week? It's pretty unbelievable, you know, knowing Dawn and the class that's coming in. That, that was one of the things, honestly, that I was most curious about for the end of the season was what Aaliyah Boston and some of that class was going to do. If they would use that extra COVID year and maybe come back, because you mentioned it. The WNBA isn't necessarily that that thing that you're trying to get out of college for early right now. Angel Reese talked about it, right? I'm making more money than ever right now. It's really hard to stay on a WNBA roster and stay in that starting spot anyway. I wondered if some of those South Carolina players from that freshies class would end up coming back for another year. 
But then you also have to wonder, right, what does that do for the scholarship spots for some of players coming in for those high recruits that are coming in? And what will that domino effect look like? So uh, as sad as it is to see some of those players leave, I cannot wait to see the next group that Coach Staley brings in. I thought it was fascinating. I believe it was The Athletic that did an article uh, in the middle of the tournament where they polled a lot of players and they asked you know, if you could go back or if you could play for another coach, who would you want to play for? And overwhelmingly, the the percentage leaned towards Don Staley. And so many players have so much respect for Don Staley. As much as I'm sure they're going to be active in the portal at the same time, Don's kind of getting first pick, if you will, for a lot of these recruits to begin with anyway. So you haven't really seen them need to utilize the portal as, as much just because she's getting that great talent who's willing and patient to sit on the bench behind some of that other great talent. She's getting them as their freshmen and, and, and as they're entering the scene in college. So it will be very scary if the day comes that Don Staley is pulling somebody like a Haley Van Lith out of the portal, because then you're like, all right, well, she can do it all portal recruit him as a freshman. That is terrifying. Uh, but again, you know, LSU has really emerged as a portal destination as well. It'll be interesting to see what players end up there too, but I don't think South Carolina is going anywhere, even though it was a disappointing end to the season this past year. We're going to get off this call and see that Haley Van Lith has announced that she's transferring to South Carolina and we're going to have a new controversy on our hands. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to go buy lottery tickets or something. <laughs> I don't have any information to be clear. <laughs> I don't know if that's happening. Just <laughs> hypotheticals. Before I let you go, uh, I need a vibe check on all things South Carolina football right now. Beamer gets the new contract. Rattler, Juice Wells, they're coming back. The Clemson barrier, it's, it's no longer kind of standing in the way. You've always been more bullish about the potential of this program because, I mean, and understandably so, when you were there, it was a different story. South Carolina is in its golden age. But where do you think they go in the next three years? Is is this sustainable to be at that level where it's not just what they did at the end of the year and the end of the year feels a little bit like an outlier? Like, can they get to that place where nine and three maybe is the expectation? Do they have the ability to kind of sustain that after the the first two years of obviously the returns of, of Beamer have been really promising. I think they can absolutely get back to that place. I don't know when, I don't, I don't know when timetable wise that would happen, but honestly, I, I will say at times during the season last year, that team exceeded my expectations because you look back at, at coach Beamer's first year and, and he'll, he'll tell you before anybody else, I think it's the, it's the alma mater in me, but I tend to be a little bit more critical. I think we all are more critical of our own teams maybe than others. And, and I look back at that first year and going into year two, I was going, you know, there were some, there were some games, but the ball bounces a different way. This is a team that maybe was a three, four win team that first year. Bandy. There, there was yeah. some luck on the side of South Carolina in that first year. Last year, there were games that I know they wish they had back. Um, I think almost every single one I was on the sidelines for. So I have begun <laughs> to shoulder some of the blame from Gamecock fans who think I am now a curse for some reason. Well, you're when a Tennessee I do fan at this point, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's only good vibes for Tennessee. That makes no sense. None of that makes any sense. What's what's happening with my streak with Tennessee right now. Um, but but I really do believe in Coach Beamer and it goes all the way back to before he was hired. Uh, I mean, I was doing so many radio interviews where they were asking, who do you think should be the next head coach? And from when I was in school there, I remember chatting with some of my buddies who played either significantly rode the bench, whatever it was. 
And all of them said the same thing. It's, it's gotta be coach Beamer. If he wants to come here, doesn't matter. He hasn't been a head coach. Doesn't matter. He, he hasn't been a high level coordinator. It's gotta be him. And I believe those guys, because like you said, I witnessed some of the best years of South Carolina football, All right? If it's good enough for you guys, good enough for me. He has brought that life back into the program that it has really been missing. And not only that, you look at what South Carolina is doing on social media right now to really connect with a new fan base. I mean, that office style video, shout so out good. to Justin King and that whole department over there. It's incredible and it's fun, right? And you go into, you go into some facilities and the the mood can be very somber. And at t- I've even had some coaches <laughs> kind of offhand be like, you think we're having fun here? It's not fun. Like we're, It's all business. We don't have fun here. And you just don't get that vibe at South Carolina. You get the vibe that, hey, we go to work when it's time to go to work, but we also play hard when it's time to play hard as well. He's really made such a difference, not only within that building, but within the community. The fact that you have players like to carry on Joiner deciding to stay and deciding to come back and and take as much time as he can riding the wave of being a Gamecock and and being in college and playing in that program, I think speaks volumes. The fact that Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells came back. And that was something that Juice told me back during the bowl game. He said, what I do is fully contingent on what my quarterback does. I want to be doing what Spencer does. And if Spencer doesn't come back, I, I don't know what that means for me, but I know that I want Spencer throwing me the football. Obviously, Spencer sees enough from Coach Beamer that he decides he wants to come back as well and and hopefully improve that draft stock. So there's there's still work to do, obviously. Some great wins during the Shane Beamer tenure. Clemson, Kentucky, certainly kind of getting that monkey off the back. But then you look at the scores from the Georgia games the last two seasons and you go, yep, there's there's still work to be done. You look at the game dropped to Missouri, the game dropped to Florida this past season. The Florida won one of the more embarrassing losses of the season. So there's still that roller coaster sense that great programs don't necessarily take you on. South Carolina still has some work to do, but I have all the confidence in the world that Coach Beamer is the guy to get it get it back to nine and three expectations. And I'll okay. be insufferable if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, like, what what if because I didn't I mean I didn't know you when you were in college or anything like that. Were you the person like Clemson fans, you're chirping them nonstop? Is is it were you at that place where you were like the worst person to be around if it was a group gathering and you're just talking like I I'm I'm kind of getting that sense from you. Like if if you were within 10 feet of a Clemson fan, they were, they were turning the other direction. So I was, I was more like that in high school with Virginia tech football. Honestly, mm. you talk to anyone who I sat at a lunch table with K through 12, and they would probably tell you that. Yes. That I was a terrible, annoying football fan, always talking smack. When I got to South Carolina, I was still kind of trying to figure out my fandom, right? I had spent my whole life cheering for one team, this team in the ACC, and now I'm kind of dropped into the middle of SEC football. And I would say halfway through my freshman year, I was like, okay, I get it now. This is this is awesome. This is great. And then the craziness started to sort of overtake me. But I spent then the next three years on the sidelines of those games working either for the student station or the CBS affiliate, so whatever it was. So I kind of had this like pent up, rage, if you will, from being on the <laughs> sidelines. So I'm like, I've got the camera on my shoulder and I'm remaining professional because you can't cheer on the sidelines as a media member. So it kind of just would like boil up and, and I, w- I would be like silently excited if that made sense. So I wasn't really in a, in a position to talk a ton of crap to Clemson fans. Um, also working in the market, I didn't want Clemson fans to like 
turn off our TV station automatically thinking like, oh, well, she hates us because we covered Clemson as well. Um, But when the time is right, and certainly now, um, I'm probably worse now than I was in college. If if the timing is right, not on not on TV now, but among my friends, I will certainly uh, talk as much smack as possible when when South Carolina beat the brakes off of Florida a year ago. I have a house divided with a gator. Uh, my fiance is a Florida gator. I talk so much garbage. I talk so much garbage and I got it all right back this past season. So <laughs> that one was coming back. That I yeah. was, uh, that's... I got served this past season. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. Last, last one. Actually, I, I lied. Um, I just did SEC teams as country artists last, yeah, last week. And I did Cody Johnson for South Carolina. And I went with that because I was like, you know, somebody that was coming up on the, the the red dirt scene in Texas, how big can you really be if you don't have that radio success? And that was something that kind of held him back for a while. And just like that, boom, like he's got it now. And you're kind of asking the question, what is his potential? South Carolina, if you can't beat Clemson, if you're facing Clemson and Georgia every single year, what what is your potential really look like? Boom, they beat Clemson. All of a sudden, we're asking different questions about them. That was kind of where I was coming from with that. Is there a better one that that has come to mind? And don't do the thing where you give me Darius Rucker. I've already yeah. spoken about. Like you, that's just the laziest thing ever, and I, that's what everybody in the comments is telling me. Right? But is there yeah. one that that comes to mind for South Carolina? Well, Darius on Pride, obviously, but I get I get why Darius could not, you know, be the easy choice. You know, I'm a huge, I don't know a lot of country music singers backgrounds or their stories or how they got to where they are. I'll be honest. But immediately when you started saying that I'm a huge Luke Combs fan, huge Luke Combs fan. And I think about some of his music and how he talks about if he wasn't doing what he's doing now, he'd be back in that bar at Appalachian state playing music to a sold out crowd, whatever it is. I also think about the song beer never broke my heart. And as you, as we've talked about here, South Carolina's had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. True. And I feel like I'll use the words we at this moment. We as a fan base, we've never lost a party, right? We we may lose some games, but we've never lost a party. Beer never broke my heart. Like <laughs> I, I could see some Luke Combs songs being easily applied to some moments during South Carolina season. And I also feel like are we are we a fan base that a lot of people hate? I don't necessarily feel that way. I, I feel like maybe obviously Clemson fans do, but within the SEC, I feel like we're just kind of that fan base that, you know, we'll probably talk some smack, but like I, I like to think we're polite. I've at least had some Tennessee fans who have said, yeah, every time I've come to Columbia, it's been a great experience. Everybody's so, so kind. It's a blue collar mentality, Southern hospitality. And that's kind of that's sort of Luke Combs vibes. I get, you know, we want to go play at a dive bar or we want to play in front of a sold out crowd. We can do both. We're very, very flexible. I like that. I like that. I went with, I went with Georgia for Luke Combs because I was like, just hit after hit after hit and title after title. It's like at the top of the game right now. That is, that is good. There are, there are definitely, like different ways that you can kind of work that in. Luke Combs fits the South Carolina vibe, like through and through. And being what was Tennessee? Country. Uh, Jody Messina, because oh. Jody Messina heads Carolina, tails California. That song, like kind of when it's popular, when it had its heyday, just like when Tennessee had its heyday and gets this resurgence in the last year because of the Cole Swindell remix. So good. It's so good. Okay. We'll agree to disagree on that. Um, what? <laughs> I love I, that song. <laughs> the original is so good. The original is so good. Yeah. And then every time I hear it, I'm like, mm, I just, I, I just want to hear the original. I don't want to hear that one. And I'm not, I'm not a country purist. I was saying this on the pod, but every time I hear it, I'm like, 
he just tapped into that and like took her like little catchy but i get it i it, it is catchy i'm i'm being a, a snob by by saying there's that. so many people though who don't even know that that was a jody messina song first like when trevor sure. first heard that song i was like you know where this came from right he's like no i don't but he didn't grow up a country fan like i grew up on 90s and 2000s country like that's that's my thing like that's what i'm blasting in my house all the time so he's like no this this concept was brand new to him so i feel like <laughs> there are a lot of people who are like who's jody messina which is sad yeah do better having a moment and like <laughs> she blows up like she her name is just all over the place the last year just like tennessee but um, i came back to well the original like, like what it was in the 90s like that still kind of stands on its own whereas this this version might be really really good it's not quite at that level just yet so i went a little bit critical on that one but now i feel bad i can't wait to go look at this whole list genuinely because I, I i keep going I, in my head i'm like well who's alabama who's texas a&m and instead of asking you i'm just going to go actually read <laughs> or listen to the the, just, the piece <laughs> don't don't read the comments it's it's on our it's on our instagram it's on like our, our social and stuff just don't read awesome. any of the comments they're just ripping me a new one it's i'm like, a comment surfer like if it's not my stuff i love reading the comments but i won't sick. read any comments on my own stuff <laughs> I just like, want to see what everyone's saying on everyone else's stuff. I'm like guilty of doing that sometimes where it'll be a podcast that I'll listen to and I'll be like, I feel like they totally missed the mark on something. I hope they got a one-star review for this. And I'm like, crap, if somebody did that to me, I'd be so upset. Why am I doing this right now? But it's like, I don't know. You just, it's there's some joy in it. It is. Well, and sometimes the comments are so funny, like TikTok. I, I really am only on TikTok to read the comments and it's, <laughs> I don't even like or interact with the comments. I just want to read them. And that's what I do. <laughs> I don't, again, I don't read my own comments, but I'll read strangers comments. Nothing wrong there's with something that. wrong with me. Yeah. Oh, well, it happens. Uh, Alyssa, this has been great. Really appreciate the time. Uh, hope you get some vacation lined up in the very near future and maybe no more like food races that are just that excessive. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> no promises. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates fullest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out, we're talking about cooking. We have talked about elements of cooking and figuring out. So I'll try not to repeat myself too much in here, but been doing a lot of cooking lately. Mm -hmm. When your wife is 33 weeks pregnant, comes with the territory, as I was saying. Um, we're usually like 75, 25 with uh, under normal circumstances, non-pregnant circumstances. I do other things around the house, dishes, yard work to try and kind of make up for that gap. But uh, we're going to have to do a cooking weekend real soon wherein we make like four meals that we can freeze. So we just have when the baby comes. Oh, yeah. That's that, that'll be That'll be a lot, but it, you know, it's it'll the be pre baby like Google Doc is going to be so serious. It's going to be like 30 pages of like, okay, boom, like day one, we got to do this, we got to do this. <laughs> the Iowa notebook is going to be out of it. It's going to be baby stuff. I wish I was that organized with this. I'm, <laughs> I'm really not. And it's kind of that, that in itself is kind of stressing me out a little bit right now. Is that we're, we're doing we we have a plan and we 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 try and be productive on weekends with with everything that we're doing but man it's like it it's kind of what do you have time for what do you have energy for you know and, and mm -hmm. it's just you can have a plan it just kind of all goes up in smoke very very easily um if the you know whatever the circumstances aren't necessarily right lauren's not necessarily feeling up for something we just kind of have to constantly be um adapting to whatever's going on um i've realized that i don't have unconditional love for cooking mm -hmm. 
conditional love. We'll call it conditional love. I have love for it if it's something that I've done before or if I have the time to cook a new recipe. That's key. Really key. If you're rushed in cooking something new, usually not fun. Those, those videos are never part of the social media algorithm, never make the cut. Maybe that's my TikTok lane. Cooking video, but me messing up one step or just getting increasingly frustrated that it said prep time was 10 minutes and I'm 45 minutes into chopping veggies without an end in sight. Maybe that's the problem. All those cooking videos are edited down to make it look like there's like 30 seconds that goes into the entire process. And ASMR, I don't think- ASMR, Midwesterner stumbles through cooking. It's just, oh, nope, darn it. Oh, oh, shoot. oh, oh, oh excuse me. Bye, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I caught myself with just the most unnecessary excuse me the other day of like a person that was in my way. I don't remember where I was, but I, I regretted it instantly. And I almost turned around and said, you know what? No, excuse you, ma'am. <laughs> Love that. Growth is what we call that. Own yeah. your space, Connor. Have to. I'm not a guaranteed struggler. I did make, I, I made my Easter quiche yesterday. Yeah, Love that's that. right. Yeah, not to brag, pretty much an expert on that now. Add that to the things I do best list. Um, I also had time and I've done it before. So again, conditional love for cooking. I think the fear of the unknown is the biggest hurdle with cooking as an adult. It's like a fear that you'll spend all this money and time on a recipe and you won't know if you'll execute it. And even if you do, you, you don't know that you'll end up liking it. So there's just a lot of things that could talk us out of cooking. So it could be just easy to default to other options that don't have the unknowns and they're just quicker, but that's do you, okay. So is, is that something that you feel like holds you back at all in the cooking process? Or you're just like, you know what? No, I'll just dive into it. New recipe. Let's go throw whatever at me. Cause that like, it sounds like your mom is wired a little bit like that. I think with, uh, I'm not going to speak for all Cajuns here, but I think for me, it's like, you kind of have your hot zone where you know everything is going to taste good. You know, talking about the Trinity, talking about some um, Tony Sashries, a little bit of cheese. So anything I can do that kind of gets me in that zone and I can kind of expand from there. You know what I'm saying? So like great example, I could probably figure out a quiche if you gave me enough tries because I know the things I can put in there that Not would hard. taste would really. Okay. So that might, might, might be next. Uh, but I know that, you know, the things in there that that do taste good that I like, but I'm not like off the board guy. I'm not like, Oh, I'm making beef Wellington today. Like I'm, I'm going to like, I know how to do this. Let me just bridge over this other thing and do that. Instructions are good. Like mm-hmm. going, going totally rogue and just figuring something out. There, There's, there is a level to that. The level is I can go to my, my local deli place, Petty's shout out Petty's. And I could walk in there not knowing exactly what I'm going to get. And I'll say, Hmm, I've never done this before. But let me throw this on because if you're just throwing it on the grill, okay, I can, you know, maybe look up some quick instructions. I'll ask the person behind the counter, hey, you know, how do you usually and that that's like what they're there to do. I feel comfortable doing that. And I've done that before. But you're right. Just to just to just get something that you have no sort of background cooking and it's like a total unknown. The the downside of it is significant especially if you're spending that money, you got to put in a little time and research, but yeah, that part is, can be really difficult. Um, but yeah, we, we do meal prep. Talked about that mm-hmm. before, before I started living with Lauren, I cooked occasionally, but did not meal prep at all. It is one thing to cook yourself a nice Sunday dinner. You have some leftovers. It is another to say, here's what we're having for dinner each night this week. We're doubling this recipe. We need X amount of each thing. When I lived by myself, I did not think like that because I didn't have to. You didn't have right. to. 
Like I had some lean pockets in my first apartment in Nebraska. Your boy had had a couple of lean cuisines follow him into the newspaper offices back in the day. The irony is I actually had the time back then, but the problem for me was that cooking almost everything was new. And as we talked about getting outside your comfort zone, new things as an adult is just intimidating. It just is. So you know what? I, I've worked through that though. It helps that every time I cook a new recipe or something like that, Lauren always gases me up. Always love that. Oh, the the compliments are just flowing. Oh, first bite. Wow. This is really good. This is really good. Mike, should have gone for the real crushed tomatoes instead of using a cup of prego for the sauce. And I know she's just holding that in. That's fine. I'm just thinking that to myself. I'm really critical. I don't know why. Like what, who do I, if, if the one person I have to impress is just sitting there gassing me up and she's happy and she's not spitting out her food. I, that's a, that's a win, right? Why don't, why can't I just take that win? Why do I feel this pressure on myself to, to create this 9.9 unforgettable meal that just is like, oh my God, you have to make this again really, really soon. Not every meal has to be like that. Sometimes you're just consuming food. I don't know. I get it in my head, as you can tell. Just, uh, you're, you're climbing the mountain of greatness, as Hoover coach Josh Niblett used to say. You know, you're, you're, you're having, it's about you versus you, not you versus other people. Um, Yeah, man. So I feel like, I feel like enough time has passed. So I went through a breakup recently. Me and Brittany are no longer together. And I think that um, cooking has been like a really interesting thing, right? Because you've seen like kind of my, like I've joked to you about the stuff that I used to cook when I was like by myself and it was all really like protein stuff. And I think that that's been like a really cool thing. It's like a sense of identity, right? Because, you know, we have people in the comments that are talking about, oh, they got like full families, you know, they got to do that. And exactly what you're talking about right now. Okay, well, I'm used to cooking for myself and and now I have a partner and then now you got, you know, a little one on the way. So you got to be thinking about that and how to mix all that in there. And so I've kind of, you know reset the deck and restart over and it's been really refreshing uh, it's been cool been doing a lot of fish um been doing a lot of fish and like Ooh. side items keeping it very uh basic so far but i'm gonna start you know moving on to like the next thing um but that's one thing for me that always kind of like um you know from my background i used to be an mma fighter i barely talk about that on here but um i was really into cooking for myself and because i knew i wasn't coordinated and i was like what's my x factor it's like i'm not putting anything bad in my body i'm gonna be conditioned i'm gonna sleep and so i used to cook all the time and now i've been doing it a lot more and especially with the friends that i have uh peyton obviously is a chef i talk about him all the time and he like made me a pasta the other day that was like phenomenal it's just like stuff i had laying around and then john like i don't know if you know this about john the happiest i think i've ever seen john is when he's cooking he is like the biggest cooking guy ever um my sister lives in this is about to be a lot of weird facts about me. Like, my my sister lives in Morocco, and so she um she made us a, what's called a tagine, and it's like a Moroccan dish that's like it's it's okay. like a mountain of it's like a mountain of veggies with like meat underneath, and you eat it with like a pita. And uh, you know, we were making like the pita part of it, and John was just like a dog, like his head was just going back and forth. He was like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" And my sister asked her, she's like, "Do you want to?" do you want to have some of this? And he's like, or like make some of these like, yes. And he was just like folding it. So yeah, it's just really cool. Like it's such a bonding experience. It's, it's one that I haven't had over the last couple of years because, you know, Brittany did like all the cooking for us, but it's cool. It's I've been able to like rediscover it. And I think I've been a lot more organized with it for myself, you know, because I know what I like. And like another thing about that is that uh, Brittany had geographic tongue and she was like, couldn't eat spicy food and me being Cajun, I make everything spicy. So I'm just like, boom, I'm going to OD on the sasheries. I actually exploded a thing of Tony sasheries like three hours ago all over my floor. So yeah. that's how much Tony Sashrews you got going on here you know I'm trying to trying to make eggs every day trying to like you know keep it keep keep something going where I have these little routines but you know it's uh yeah it's been, been different there's something therapeutic about it mm -hmm. in in the right setting there's something that's kind of nice about 
you know, there's there's obviously the the grunt aspect of it that kind of scares people off. And I'll be honest, when I see a recipe that doesn't have a million different veggies that I have to chop, okay, that yeah. that's that's better for me. I don't I don't necessarily I don't necessarily get a whole lot of joy out of that. I don't I feel like that's a little bit more intense for me where I'm just focused on not chopping my thumb off. And so I don't find that therapeutic, but sometimes you just kind of get in that zone. And maybe that's the zone that, that John gets in where you, mm-hmm. you put on some music. You're just kind of, maybe you get a little pre-dinner drink or something like that. Whatever you're making, you're like, all right, I know this is going to take 45 minutes. If you have the time, again, that that is so key is allotting the proper amount of time if you, if you have it great obviously that's that's time is a luxury in my opinion but sometimes you just kind of get in that that mode a little bit and then other times cooking's intense and it can be a little bit intense you're just like get out of my way i don't want anybody else in the kitchen i don't want you dipping your you know your your spoon into whatever i'm making especially when it's not a finished product or something like that although that is like the ultimate compliment to the chef if you're that eager you know so i should probably be a little bit more warm and welcoming and not threaten to to slice off Lauren's hand if she does no I'm kidding do that <laughs> I don't do that we don't do that I'm just kidding um but I think cooking versus grilling is interesting because I separate them oh, I, yeah. I think those grilling are two, is totally the, yeah two different things of of mindset grilling is social in my opinion just a different sort of vibe whereas like I don't view cooking as as social. And even though I think it can be therapeutic, I think there are more elements that are a little bit more internal and it's more about like how I'm focusing on something. It's like regular season, major league baseball compared to college football Saturday, you know, like, of course you view it that way. Major league baseball, regular season, that's grilling. Like you're stealing, you're hanging out, you're mm-hmm. not living and dying with every pitch. Set some on fire. Who cares? We'll just put it out and get back to it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? We'll whatever. be good to go. Yeah. Braves, Braves lose lose a few over the weekend or something like that. You know, yeah, you know whatever. I, actually, I, I take that back. There are some Braves fans on my timeline that are just, oh my god, <laughs> you, you y'all live pitch this thing. You live tweet every single pitch. It, it, it's much. It's it's a little much. And it's I say much. that, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think those are two different things. So I kind of wanted to separate those a little bit. So we'll, we'll try and maybe stray away from the grilling conversation, even though that is kind of what many people associate just kind of with cooking, but. I consider cooking to be more of like, oh, something, you know, over the stove type stuff. And I realize it's not limited to that, but I don't know what, for whatever reason, that's, that's the way that I differentiate between those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let us start in the Saturday Down South podcast, Facebook group. Got some great responses here. Let's start with this one from Austin Foster. Austin says married for a year. Oh, by the way, the questions that I asked uh, for this post, if you're single, do you cook actual meals for yourself? Uh, and if you live with a significant other, how do you determine who cooks and when? At what point is it no longer okay to have microwave dinners like Hot Pockets, Lean Cuisine, Hungry Man, et cetera? Uh, do you cook several meals throughout the week or do you meal prep? What's your best piece of advice to someone who wants to start cooking but is too overwhelmed? And obviously any cooking horror stories. Real quick, actually, before we start, is 26, 27 the range where you're like, all right, probably shouldn't have frozen meals in the kitchen, or is it still acceptable under your thirties? And you could just, as long as, you know what, nobody's sitting here judging you. If that's what you feel like you need to do to advance your day, then, then just do it. Am I, am I overthinking that is that there should be like an age that you probably stop making lean cuisines for yourself? Um, gosh, it just depends. Right. Because I think there's like a difference between like munchies and like food. Like for me, I have these like healthy, um, 
like healthy pizza bites. So I'm not going to drop the brand because they don't pay me, but like I love them and they're, they come yeah. out of my freezer. And so it's like I, every once in a while, I'll just be like, yo, I'm playing some games. I'm going to throw these in and just call it a day. But like, like I was talking to somebody else, uh, somebody the other day, uh, they were a chef. It wasn't paid. And they were like, oh, I just made some dino nugs today because I just didn't want to cook. I was like, you're a chef. You know what? You can cook whatever you want. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And now if, it, if it's exclusively that, then it's like, mm-hmm. okay. You know, get outside your comfort zone. Just, just be willing to, to put yourself out there. But yeah, there, there are definitely some, some of those circumstances. Like, yeah, we'll throw on a frozen pizza every once in a while. Like, hey, sometimes frozen pizza. We're like, we got a million things to do on on a Sunday or something like that. Don't have the time. Don't have the energy. We're just gonna pop that in. Boom. There we go. We're good. Frozen pizza probably considered a little bit differently than like you know a frozen like a TV dinner or something like that. But you get what I'm saying. Right. All right. Austin says married for a year and a half and I do most of the cooking. I get most of my cooking ideas from watching TikToks. And about the only reason I cook is because I'm the one home first. It's always okay to have microwave meals if you're pressed for time or don't have any leftovers to take for lunch. Meal prep is rare for us just because we tend to just buy what we want to cook that day. Uh, Horror story. The wife decided she wanted to try her hand at making pretzels. Pretzels are low-key tricky. Very, very tricky. Everything was going fine until she put it in the oven. She didn't realize that if the parchment paper was hanging over and down onto the coils, it would catch fire. Needless to say, there were no pretzels to be had, and our oven was smoky for a while. Hey, mistakes happen. Yesterday, I didn't include this in the lead. When I was making quiche, I had to put two of them into our little ramekins because your boy made more than enough quiche to go around. Didn't just fit in our little, you know, our little, uh, you know, glass glass dish thing that I was going to go in. And uh, had egg overflowing into the bottom of the oven, you know, little like probably about yay big, I don't know, like a tennis ball size (laughs) amount of egg that dripped to the bottom of the oven. And all right, yeah, made a mistake. Oh well, probably overloaded that one a little bit too much. You wait for it to cool down. You get it to the back. You you get you get it off the bottom of the oven, and you just roll with it, and and you just move on. Um, Pretzels are something that we do for for the Super Bowl. That it like the homemade pretzel, it's kind of tricky because you got to get like the the water boiling and it's you, you got there's a salting process that goes into it. It's kind of kind of like a a little bit labor intensive if you're doing them like homemade or something like that. Um, but mistakes happen. Just always got to be willing to roll with them. We one time had our our Pyrex explode in the oven, like it's terrifying terrifying glass shattered everywhere it's definitely like a malfunction of the product nobody was hurt or anything like that it was fine but you can't mentally prepare for that it was nothing we did wrong necessarily but if it gets i actually it was because if those things get too hot too quickly i'm sure people listen there are so many listening to this that has a story of a pyrex a pyrex exploding on them but if they get too hot too quickly they'll just like boom so you have to put them on you know uh, like an oven on top of an oven mitt or something when they're cooling, you can't just put them straight on, like, you know, on top of your oven or whatever the case may be. But yeah. What were we talking about again? Uh, making oh, mistakes. Just like cooking. Cooking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cooking like mistakes. Like to, first off, like shout out to you for trying pretzels. That is very, like I, I would yeah. not even like anything bread related. I used to like do that. With my mom was growing up. She like bake some bread. I haven't done that in a minute, but yeah, I think um, like there's no scarier mess or disaster that happens in your general life than cooking. And that includes grilling, right? Like any, cause that's the only time you'll have like an explosion. That's the only, like I was talking about spilling Tony's ashtrays. It just gets everywhere. And like the stuff spilling into the bottom of your oven. It's like, I, I will never, this stain will be here until I die. Like <laughs> until this thing is in a landfill it, somewhere. It lives with us now. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is our stain brother. And so like, it's so interesting. Cause you just be messing around with the next. It's like, like I got new smoke alarms. Um, 
Now my smoke alarms just replaced because they were kind of old. And now I'm just like, I have these hypersensitive smoke alarms. And every time I make eggs, one of them goes off. And I'm like, ah, I thankfully have a deaf cat who doesn't care. But anyway, we had ours. Ours were from like 1988 when we first moved into this house. We're like, that's not okay. How did right. that pass inspection? <laughs> no idea whatsoever. Like y'all are busting our chops about this door for our garage <laughs> that we had to get replaced like a thousand dollar fire door that we have to get and you're not looking at over over here at the at the smoke alarms going hey that, that that's from that's from the reagan administration isn't it yes it, it definitely is we you got jimmy carter's here. signature on your smoke <laughs> alarms <laughs> hey man uh, let's go to from Derek Walden. Derek says, my, my wife never cooked before she moved in with me. Once she moved in, she felt like she needed to cook for us and she's become pretty good. We've lived together for four or five years now and she still cooks most of the time. But if there's something that can be grilled, I'll do the grilling. Uh, it's always okay for a microwave slash frozen dinner. Sometimes you get home late, don't want to cook, throw in a frozen pizza and call it good. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, when I was single and trying to get in shape for summer, I'd cook once a week. I can eat the same thing all week and be okay with it. Once the wife started back in the gym, we tried that, but she has to have variety. So we started cooking two to three times a week. So she has options. Best piece of advice, get a simple cookbook and start with something with very few ingredients and work up to bigger meals. Also get a grill. Yep. The new fancy grills with Wi-Fi are worth the money. Best $700 I've ever spent. I didn't know that what? was a thing with oh, Wi-Fi. What does the Wi-Fi do here? I'm hold on. What do you mean with Wi-Fi? Is it like tell you temperature? Like what do we? Yeah, I think it's. I, the, they tell internal temperature. Like they 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 just know that you don't even need a meat thermometer anymore. They'll, they'll just tell you that. Yeah, it's incredible. What some. But isn't that? Do. I'm not being like. It probably would make me better at grilling. Isn't that part of the fun that you just could set something on fire? As we just discussed, like True. something about that feels like cheating. I don't know. It probably is better, but like. I don't know. I just... yeah. yeah, like sous vide food is is like a little bit cheating. You know, sous vide, you can control the exact temperature it goes to. As long as you have the proper equipment and you know how to use it, you should be able to get something perfect every single time. And then you do the sear afterwards mm -hmm. after you sous vide. Um, but yeah, that's you're right. The thrill of just being able to, to not know. I still use the meat thermometer when, when I'm on the grill. I, mm -hmm. I, I just feel more comfortable with it, especially at this at this stage in life giving giving us food poisoning when i just could have busted out the meat thermometer just don't have to do that um and then uh he said also uh one last thing from derek get a crock pot and or instapot slash air fryer for sure the crock pot is for for a single guy was my i'm cooking like that 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 is what i use for like a pork shoulder or something like that it's gonna sit mm -hmm. in there all day like you're making meatballs or something. Uh, the crock pot is a great investment. It, it really, really is. And it, it, it kind of allows you to, to feel like you're doing a lot, even though it kind of does a lot of the work for you, which is nice. And it's kind of a, it's a good, it's a great place to be able to start with cooking. He's, he's right. Getting a cookbook helps, man. It does. Sometimes it's intimidating to look up a recipe or something like that on your phone. You know, your phone's always going black, so you can't even keep the recipe open the entire time. So it's a little bit difficult. But just having a physical cookbook and seeing pictures of what it's supposed to look like, I kind of swear by it. We have like four different ones in our household. And that's when we go to a new recipe, like that's usually what we're doing. We have like two or three other websites that we use. Um, but getting a cookbook and just being like, Hey, that looks good. I should make that. And that recipe looks manageable. That's the best way to get started. Great advice. Yeah.
Great. Doing those, you know, John Fulls, Cajun ones, all the funny or not funny, all the really good art in there. Um, I'm sorry, I'm freaking out. I, the Wi-Fi thing is blowing my mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm googling here. If you want to monitor the internal temperature of multiple cuts of yep. meat through Wi-Fi via an app, one of the best options is name brand. Multiple, you could. Okay. Yeah. So you you just program it. <laughs> you pro you program. I it, it probably has some sort of way system, right? It probably has some sort of weight system. And if you say, Hey, like these are, these are the dimensions it's, you know, a four pound boneless Boston butt. And that's, that's what's in there. And you could say, I'm cooking it at this temperature for this time. It has a way to kind of monitor that. That's like associated with the grill plates too. I don't know technology will, but I think that's just how it works and you just trust it. Okay. I've gone from being like, that's cheating to like, I'm intrigued by this concept. Maybe if I had a little bit of spending money, I might check this out because it seems like a good way to not, have your friends laugh at you. Yeah. So, talked about that in my Super Bowl two years ago. I did that. So Derek says best $700 you can spend. Just saying. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Uh, Benny Hanna says, let's end with this one. With a family of four, you aren't getting by with meal prepping for a week. We'll try to stick to a rough menu outline for the upcoming week to manage our food, uh, food, food stores effectively. That's an underrated thing. I try mm-hmm. to let my wife have her own personal space in the kitchen because I will never understand the rationale for where certain utensils and cookware is kept and how to find them. I will, however, spend an entire weekend cooking outdoors on the, on the pellet grill, gas grill, and Blackstone. Next weekend, I'm going to be smoking a 10-pound Boston butt. Oh, Speaking of Boston, but and we'll be making roughly 30 to 40 pounds of Brunswick stew to portion out and keep in the freezer. That's a lot of stew, man. 30, <laughs> 30 40 pounds. How many freezers you got? Can I come over? Um, <laughs> look, that that is a thing that, that is something I need to utilize more with, with the with the grill it's itself for meal prep. And I did that yesterday too, um, making chicken wraps for the week. Throw a bunch of, throw like, you know, two, three pounds of chicken on the grill. Boom. Just knock it out. Like grill was already going to be going for what we were having for dinner last night. That, that is, it is a great way to, 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 to knock out a lot of food. He's right though, with a family of four. And I'm, I'm worried about that too. The meal prepping thing, you and your wife can adjust to that. You and your significant other can adjust to that. And the reality of having the same meal four times in a given week, you can mentally prepare for that. Having a two or three year old, mm-hmm. uh, that's probably not. That's, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly. So adjustments will have to be made at some point. For now, cooking though, is we're good. Yeah, cooking has got to be the thing that we do with the most varying level of skill as a society, I would guess. Because like, yeah, I mean, there's people like me who are just like used to bachelor cooking, and then there's like, oh, I'm cooking as if I am feeding an army like that, which is just so wild to me. I'm sure I could figure it. It's one of those things where it's like. If I was in that situation, I, I would eventually figure it out probably. I just never had to. But like I said, it's like, you know, it's one of those where some people have no idea how to cook. And that's that's found a lot more, like, I hate to say it in just general, it's a lot more like city life as far as just like you don't have space to do these big meals and everything. Um, But yeah, it's, it's so interesting, right? When you see someone like that or you see someone like Peyton who's really good at cooking and you see how they cook and you're like, this is a whole different sport. It's like watching like you know, two a high school football versus the NFL. And it's like the way you have to measure all this out and you got to pick a kid, you got to do all this. So like hats off to people who just fit that amount of skill into their daily life. I think cooking is like the basketball comparison is like playing defense. It's a lot mm. of it's effort. A lot. Yeah. Of it, uh, yep. There. And now if you're, if you're four foot six and you, you know, you can't even run down from one end of the court to the other. Yeah, your defense is probably going to be limited. If you're in a place where you don't necessarily have these resources and if you're 
living in a forest somewhere. All right. <laughs> Cooking a little bit tough. Can totally understand that. But I feel like for the most part, it's it's about effort. It's about kind of opening your mind to being willing to to do something that is, you know, within your own control. Because in this day and age, especially Uber Eats wasn't a thing when I was when I was in college. Yeah. Can't say that uh, I would have been a little bit more interested in that back back in the day. But man, that's like, going to be our boomer thing. Is it? Hey, I'll tell you what Uber Eats was. All right, it was called Chinese food and pizza. Am I right? If you like, to... that, that gets that gets overblown though, because like it's not like we didn't have delivery. We still no, delivery. we had delivery. But like Uber Eats is such a game changer for me because I'm the type of dude that that stopped me from cooking sometimes because I want to have good yeah. food. I want to have like that type of food. You know what I'm saying? And and it was always oh, it's you know pizza or Domino's or like uh, Chinese food versus like a good meal and that was the math that was like oh i get a good meal just airdropped in here it's totally different yeah it's it's never been easier man it's never yeah. been easier but yeah i like it um conditional love for cooking very conditional love all right if you have not leave us a five-star review subscribe to this podcast follow us on twitter at the sds pod at sat down south subscribe to our basketball newsletter you can do that at bluechipgrit.com join the facebook group and hear your name red on air with figuring out or golden brush thanks guys talk soon